Welcome to ADHD is Over, a new podcast on a seemingly old label that we're going to be peeling off. Join my wife, Tatiana, and I as we journey with our family, the Wyden family, through the land of confusing information. We're going to visit both sides and let you decide because the power is with you. Welcome to ADHD is Over. Hey, 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 and welcome back to our podcast. My guest on today's episode is Lauren Thomas, a community health educator who builds greenways and trails in her local community. Lauren is also a mom of an eight-year-old son who has been recently diagnosed with ADHD by her own pursuit. Through the journey of this diagnosis process, Lauren began to reflect on how it isn't her child who has a disorder but instead that he's a participant of a disordered, attention-sucking cultural environment. Lauren offers a perspective on how the natural world can teach us about human development, including celebrating phenomenology in plants and in minds, and considering childhood as a greenhouse. Lauren and I are going to talk about how a long-term work project kept her away from truly being present with her own son, why she started to question the mainstream narrative around ADHD, and what's next for her son and her family after the initial diagnosis. I'm excited to welcome my guest, Lauren Thomas. Hi, Lauren. Hi there, Raman. How are you? I'm doing fantastic. Thank you. Thanks so much for being on the show. Um, I just love when, when uh, I should say, when listeners of our podcast or fans of the movement or just people who who reach out to us and, and, and want to have a conversation that, that warms my heart. That's where the rubber meets the road and you yourself are a mother and you've recently went through a diagnosis. So I know that thousands of parents listening to this will be able to relate and I'm just so excited to get into it. Yeah. Yeah. It's a lot, uh, as a, as a parent, um, hearing, uh, trying to figure out, how how best to navigate the world with your child, um, and so I'm I'm grateful for for your podcast because you help uh, create those uh, milestones and mile markers for people to say you're on the right path or um, or give us that uh, sort of equipment. Um, for me, it was the the podcast, the way that you spoke, the way you do speak um, has such a, a, a I use the word attitude. It's a very strong certitude. Uh, about um, who you know your child to be, and you're able to sort of cut the, I'm going to say crap, cut out um, just uh, what otherwise you could just uh, fall into it like a sheep. Um, and so, yes, I mean, my own personal experiences, I feel like I was like, wait a second, I'm not a sheep here, man. <laughs> and my heart isn't either, you know? Um, so how do I really take ownership over this and realize that I do, I have to, as a parent, I have to be the one who takes ownership over the navigating um, and not let someone who doesn't really know my child uh, navigate his, his experience through life. Well, I'm just, I'm so happy. First of all, thank you for, for being a, a listener and, and somebody who, uh, uh, from what it sounds like really enjoys what we talk about. And that was the idea, right? To, to have parents, uh, especially if your child is diagnosed with ADHD, whether recently or, you know, many years ago, and, and you find yourself kind of on a uh, rocky road still, it's like for, for those kind of parents to get some, what I call filling in the incomplete narrative, right? And 
that said, I would like to just take you back a little bit and, and, and talk about what had you uh, particularly wake up, you know, what kind of topic or what kind of uh, argument or perhaps some insights or something that had you start to kind of crack that, that, that current mainstream narrative and say, I don't know if this is really what's so. Do you, if you remember? Uh, this is absolutely. Um, so my child is someone who is, is, um, is his own temperament is m- much more reserved. Uh, he likes to spend time outside of nature, which I love. I'm in a position where I spend time outside. Um, I get to build trails and greenways in my uh, local community, which I genuinely love. Um, it's life-giving to me. And when I was looking for an early childhood uh, preschool for him, I, I was finding that a lot of preschools um, in my community were either franchises, commercial oriented, really geared on making sure that that child was kindergarten ready or could read or da da da. da. Um, and I just wanted my child to spend time outside. I really, um, maybe it was naivete, but I really wanted that sort of garden experience <laughs> for my child. And I laugh because I think that some people still do think that that's silly. Um, I do and I don't. Um, but I found that experience for him. He was in a, um, in a preschool that was um, not Montessori. It was called Reggio Emilia. And I say all this, it has a point to this. The, this educational philosophy comes from an Italian um, uh, educator who was looking for ways to help um, uh, help children in Italy who are who were traumatized by World War II um, find their way out of the trauma. Um, and I just dug it. To me, I thought it was it was you're spending so much time outside. You're really honoring the dignity of the child as they grow and as they develop. I appreciated that. Um, I felt really good about that experience. And then as he, um, my son is eight years old uh, now, as he was uh, getting ready to prepare for kindergarten, we live in a community that I would call a good, you know, a good school district by the metrics that our, our uh, education systems and our, and our industries want. Um, and there's a real deep sense of privilege there um, that comes with socioeconomic status being high, um, and high achievement. Um, I thought, <laughs> I, I think I really was much more unconscious um, in that decision of placing him in that type of uh, educational environment. And I just trusted that system to, to teach my child. Um, and I, to me, I would say I outsourced that, um, that sort of um, feelings of, of giving him that sort of love and attention that he needed. Um, and instead thought, well, this is the best school. Let's send him to the best school. Um, I'm on my way to do my work. Um, and it was almost like a uh, red flag up, maybe not the first month or two, but by the third or fourth month, it was quite uh, clear that this was not an environment that was good for him. But the thing that I think as a parent, I I chose to still trust the education system and, and I'm honest in that saying, I believe that they were telling me, Ooh, he's, hmm, something's off about this kid. Um, I believe that they, these were professional experts telling me about my child. And I believe the experts as opposed to believing in my own child and knowing his own inherent wisdom and his own inherent value. Um, and it wasn't a wake up call at first. It was more my own panic, um, my own sort of, um, 
you know, my own stress of sort of fight or flight of thinking, oh gosh, you know, uh oh, <laughs> did I make a mistake in putting him in this wonderful preschool that he got to, you know, spend time outside so much and maybe not spend so much time in the literacy aspect of it. Um, I'm having these educators telling me that my child is not listening and not focusing and not, um, and, and I believed that. And I think if I'm honest, I, I began to see my child in, in that same way um, that I began to say, oh, he's, <laughs> yeah, there is something off on this guy. Um, and shame on me for believing that. Um, and, you know, the pandemic came when he was in kindergarten and it allowed me to get to have time with him, spend that time with him. I'm, I'm blessed to be able to do that, that I got to, to kind of pause on some work and spend some time with him. But then when whatever we call virtual school came back, <laughs> um, that same idea and that same narrative was still there with my with these educators of, gosh, he's really he's really struggling, um, and I would think <laughs> I was starting to kind of uncrack, but not quite feel the confidence in myself that I I was uncracking this idea of oh, my child's really actually pretty brilliant actually <laughs> he's he's really <laughs> quite quite deep. Um, I, I don't know what they're talking about. Sure. Sure. He's not necessarily interested in reading quite yet, but isn't this where we learn, you know, isn't this where you spend that time in patience? And that's where I started really uncracking this, um, this idea. And we went through the, um, process of getting him, um, evaluated, uh, through the public education system for, you know, what, what is this concern? Um, and I feel like I, uh, I went down that path because the professionals that I was speaking with felt that that was the right thing to do. And I'm, I'm not saying it's not the right thing to do. I'm just saying this is, I just fell along. I fell along with what this pathway was of, yes, let's get him evaluated. The full spectrum of evaluations, you know, psychometric, um, um, I mean, there are screener tools that I don't feel that any mother, any, any parent should have to have to think about their child. It was so deficit-based. It was so deficit-based. Um, it was hard to complete these tools, <laughs> these sort of screening uh, modalities that you're writing and you're saying, you know, this happens sometimes, this happens all the time. And, you know, these very descriptive ways to give you the words you need to easily define your kid as a deficit. We got the quote unquote diagnosis that um, he, and by my own pursuit, you know, he, that he was um, diagnosed with a learning disorder and that he has ADHD. The what, way was that, what was that like, Lauren, that moment when you read about mm -hmm. the diagnosis of ADHD and a learning disorders, two disorders, what's that Thanks. like? Um, it was on a Zoom call because it wasn't in a, it wasn't in a room. It was, um, it was, uh, and it was two different. It was actually, you know, the professional educators were giving me the, um, the special, you know, the specified learning disorders, what they call it. Um, and then later a, a behavioral, uh, pediatrician gave me the ADHD, um, diagnosis, but also both into some, you know, in the same time period. Um, it was all kind of coming <laughs> together at the same time. I will tell you, um, I tried to keep it together on the Zoom call when it happened and I took it in 
And it was almost like someone was giving me my own intervention saying, I'm, I'm, I will let you know, Miss Thomas, your child does have a disorder. <laughs> and I said, thank you. Thank you very much. Okay. And I tried to keep my emotions together to leave that Zoom call with the dignity that I felt like I needed to uphold. And then I went to my bathroom and I just shook. <laughs> and I, I um, honestly, there was so much like energy and uh, grief in my body that I felt like my child had just been outed <laughs> for something that I was like, I don't have the words, but you apparently do. <laughs> um, you happen to have all the words to define my kid in this way. And I guess I'm, I don't believe that, but I, I don't have any other words to say, um, to know any better, to, to, to give any sort of alternate narrative to what this could be. Um, but God, I don't know that I believe that, but how else is he going to get the treatment that he needs? How else is he going to get special one-on-one -on -one time to learn how to read? How is he going to get, um, you know, if he needs medication, you know, this is where my mind was. I was like, I guess this is how you get it, that you just have to strip it all down and feel this shame and have this label and then you can recover, you know? Um, and so, yeah, I mean, I, I remember just like, just grieving it out, but your body can only cry so much. And it was out of my system. And I was like, oh, okay. Like just coming from a, you know, coming out of a tornado in your body. Um, and he went through about two months of special one-on-one -on -one reading time with his uh, teacher who called him broken at one point during a virtual lesson. Wow. Um, and that was these kind of moments where I'm like, hmm, you know that, you know, that's not true. <laughs> I mean, I just want to say, sorry to interrupt you. And I'm fascinated by your story because it's such a real uh, common story that I hear so often and you know, rarely do I get a chance to have this on my podcast because parents are so busy and, you know, some parents don't want to talk about it and I get it. But so I just really appreciate that. And uh, I just wanted to insert here that, you know, having an educator, some an expert call your child broken on top of, you know, like you said earlier, you had experts basically uh, tell you that, you know, what they think is a disorder. And then you going, well, I trusted the experts, right? You, that's why they're the experts and we're not quote unquote, right? But those are heavy duty, uh, you know, th these things create realities, right? In your head, in your child's head. And so I just wanna, again, I'm just blown away by uh, an educator calling your son broken. That That is a ma massive amount of cement on top of someone's shoulders, you know? A great metaphor yes it was it was broken lamp <laughs> that uh she 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 said and i had i got to hear it i mean wow. he was in a virtual he was in a virtual lesson and i heard as they were introducing themselves you know she saw it as an opportunity to she saw it as almost like a a, a bridge building of i could look hey i i have i know how to fix these lamps that are broken and I, I was hearing the metaphor and I'm like, he's not dumb. I'm like, <laughs> who, who do you think you are thinking that you're the one who can fix this lamp? What, who, what's the lamp? Who, what? I mean, yeah. I'm hearing it and I just, you know, 
so I have a really long email that I wrote out to her about how we don't, we don't use that language. And that's, that I think Good is for you. to kind of come out of this of, whoa, I, I'm someone who, who has a, who practices a, a particular faith. And I believe in this idea of, you know, God, the creator has all of these reasons why he creates the people that he does in the time and space that he creates them. So for someone to call any human and think that they get to have that authority, call that human a broken lamp. To me, that's where I was like, well, I know here's one thing I do know that can't happen. That's where my mama bear started coming. Out. <laughs> Good for you. That's so amazing. That's yeah. um, of, all right. Some of this is bullshit here <laughs> and we're going to, I'm going to figure out what the bullshit is and I'm going to figure out what's the truth. And so that's a great moment, right? So, and, and unfortunately, I apologize that our uh, ADHD diagnosis survival guide wasn't ready when you went through that. This is shameless self-promotion, but we're about to release it. And I know I've shared with you an early draft. And so what would you say at that moment when you had this diagnosis, you realized, okay, my son is now uh, considered broken or disordered. Uh, where did you turn for for research? Where, what, where did you, what did you jump to next? Yeah. Um, First, dyslexia. Um, that's something um, I was already beginning to, and I eventually did um, go into this homeschool route. We pulled, I pulled my son out of, of school after about two months of hearing that diagnosis and, and realizing that, oh God, here's the person that he's going to be with. Uh-uh. <laughs> Not this gal. Um, I, how can I get out fast enough? Um, mm. And uh, so the, in, what I've learned um for me, homeschool is not going to be a lifestyle choice. We we now have him back in a school setting, but for me, it was a it was a temporary measure to get us back on track. But I have since learned that many homeschool parents are in this space uh, who that, that you know their child learns differently. So let's figure out what that way is. And um, the phrase dyslexia didn't hit me as hard as ADHD or. Um, it actually kind of sounded kind of cool to me. And the first book that I purchased um, was a book uh, called The Dyslexic Advantage. And I read it front and back. And it was exactly that narrative of, no, it's an advantage. <laughs> Let me tell you how. Um, and I think that that can be said around ADHD as well. It's anyone who learns differently, anyone who moves through this world differently, who puts their attention on different things than mainstream or whatever we think is what we need to be focused on, which is really just industry and capitalism. Anyway, <laughs> yep. anyone who is thinking alternative thoughts and, and is a, has a different perspective are the ones who are going to be the innovators. They are the ones who are going to be the entrepreneurs, the risk takers. And my God, we need that or else we're going through, uh, you know, the industrial revolution and, and becoming, you know, <laughs> child labor, you know, we're just becoming the laborer and we're, um, we just need to see that, you know, we need to see that the, the, uh, the real roots of the education system is linked in with the industrial system. That was something I knew, wish, I kind of knew it, but then when you read about it, you're like, God, we have not changed, you know? So we need people who are innovative and entrepreneurs um, and people who are dyslexic, people who have ADHD, who think differently, who learn differently. You know, this whole idea of neurodiversity was starting to open, I was, you know, becoming more open to these, this word. And that's what, the, that's the language that I needed. Um, 
I also great. was starting to hear, you know, again, another thing that the educational evaluation evaluation experts were saying is, you know, it might also be processing speed issues, um, you know, that a lot of ADHD folks uh, do. I'm using the word suffer, but hear me when I say that that word. I, I'll, I'll have to unpack that at some point, but. Um, so the, I, the alternative of, of, a, of a processing speed disorder means that someone might be slow, quote unquote, and there's so much rich negative <laughs> values that are attached to the word slow. And yet I um, spend so much time outside in nature and I know that, you know, any tree is going to go on its damn well pace that it wants to go to, whether we have we want it to grow faster or not, you know, it's gonna grow at the time it wants to grow. It's as it's designed by the natural right. wants it to be. Unless it's, um, yeah. a, 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 you know, a whole yard of Christmas trees that are grown to be cut down for Christmas, which then it's the industrial, you know, system again to make money and to right feed into something. So in that case, yes, we can do it, but that's not really nature, right? That's not at nature's speed. That's not at the speed of nature, and and a child is is more in tuned with nature than we even realize than we even realize that they are, and how dare we? How how shameful are we uh, to as adults think that we know better and can do better than that? Um, so this idea of slow, I started really chewing on it. I, I'm. Um, I've been a part of sort of like a farm to table movement, slow food movement. Um, we've heard about this idea of slow fashion. So I was really like, well, I wonder if there's such a thing. <laughs> Let me find if there's a book about the beauty of slowness. And um, I learned about Carl Honoré um, and his book In Praise of Slowness. Um, and that's actually how I come to, came to you. He was on your podcast and I was going down, down a super deep dive about the beauty of slowness and Speed will not get us to this state of contentment. Slowness will. Um, and in a similar way with ADHD, I mean, this idea of, of rapid fluency on our, our reading and our math at, the, at this exact time, you know, a, a kid's going to learn it when they need to learn it. And I'm not, I'm not trying to create barriers. I'm just trying to say, let him, let him learn at the pace that he needs to learn without any sort of shame and and he'll get there and he'll be better for it and you'll be better for it for for giving him that patience yeah nobody's ever said to anyone hey hurry up with your meditation you know <laughs> you can't speed up that right being uh, in the moment that is another thing that i think um this has really wake has wakened me up to you know, it's almost like going through the back door of learning about adhd but then going through and finding that what we're lacking in our world is people who deeply think about things on a metacognitive level um, that nature spending time outside will get you there. You can, you can meet a naturalist, you can meet a conservationist. They are deep thinkers because they're outside and they're seeing the pace of nature and, and they put their attention there on the fractals. Um, and what we have contrived are these environments, this disordered culture that we, that you speak about, um, we've created um, a surplus of attention and then also expected our children to be sedentary as they have the surplus of attention. Um, so it's an overload of attention 
boxed into a, of a, a seat and, and please stay still, be, be still in this seat. That's not necessarily how learning needs to take place. We've just decided it is. That's the way to do it. Yeah. And I think you brought up a really great point. And I talk about this often, which is like, we have an attention dilemma, in the, especially in this country. And that's that not only are we bombarded constantly with information distractions that need our attention, but also in the case of children, uh, and, and you had certainly shared with me an example of a project, maybe we can go into that, but like how they're not getting the right attention they need, and then they're labeled as attention deficit, like they don't have it. So there's just this whole dilemma around attention, you know, it's, it's literally our most valuable commodity, but everybody wants it, right? Yeah. Nobody's going to give it to us. There's, um, there's an interesting uh, theory that I'm just kind of coming around to and circling back around um, that, that brings together for me the, um, the work that I do around um, creating um, trails, which I would say is just helping people get out into the natural environment. We know that the natural environment um, is restorative. But I think what's an interesting space that helps to blend the natural environment and um, the, I, the concept of ADHD is we know that uh, people who, whatever, we, I keep using quotes. <laughs> I'm using the word ADHD for lack of another, another phrase. I feel like I've got a new phrase for you. Um, and it comes from um, this, these theorists called, uh, uh, named Kaplan. There's a couple, um, attention restoration theory. And they really tried to unpack that idea of why is it that the natural environment restores our attention? Um, they're not necessarily looking at it from an ADHD perspective, but it's coming to, to me, I'm interested in it to kind of unpack that idea. But they have a phrase, um, a concept within the attention restoration theory called soft fascination. When we gaze over <laughs> from whatever we're apparently supposed to be directing our attention to, and then we, and then we gaze over some, to something else. They, they use the phrase soft fascination. And I love that because I would rather call my child instead of inattentive I would, or attention deficit, <laughs> that he is someone who has a soft fascination with something else. And no, his, his, his attention is not on this directed thing. He apparently finds something fascinating over, over somewhere else. You know, um, I just find that really helpful to to realize that that soft fascination can then lead and it does to anyone who identifies as someone who's ADHD it it often can lead someone down what others would call hyper focus I would call deep contemplation you know we don't want to give these beautiful positive language around deep contemplation but that's what our world needs are people who are deeply con contemplating about things and then moving their energy towards that um, yeah, that doesn't describe ADHD. I don't know what does. And maybe it's deep contemplative movement expression, you know, instead of ADHD, I don't even want to use the word disorder. It's like, no, yeah, he's, he's got DCME <laughs> <Deep -contemplative laughs> disorder, movement expression. Um, just to, to rename it for yourself. If, if that sounds silly, you know, it's fine. It's more reclaiming it for your own, for your own sanity. Yeah store that relationship with your child. I think that's an important point is right is you that parents that we create our own empowering definition or explanation, right? If as long as it's empowering, it's fine because who am I to tell you 
what's empowering for you, right? If, if you get up in the morning and you're empowered by looking at your son that way, and he feels empowered that he's seen that way, then run with it. The problem is we go out into the world and then you'll have someone somewhere say like, oh, have you ever, have you ever thought about your, your son's a little hyper, right? Those words start to drop or impulsive or, and suddenly you're back up against the wall, right? And then what do you do? So what do you do when you're out there and somebody tells you, and it has happened. It has happened. And I would say, um, as a mother, what I have to really discern from that, once you, you can create your own language uh, for it, but what you have to unpack in that moment is what is the intention and motivation of that person? If it's coming from a good place, here's my response. Thank you. I'm so grateful that you've noticed this quality of my child. I don't call it that. I actually... I'm going to, he's just really fascinated by X, Y, Z, or he seems to like to move and have hands-on um, activities. That's how he learns. I'm, I'm so grateful that you realized that. Thank you. And it just cuts off the conversation of, of, of concern, you know, oh, I'm like, I'm concerned about you. No, 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 no. <laughs> Thank you. I'm so glad you noticed it. Yes. You know, cause then that's, it's not, it's, it's not, I'm not offended. I get that. I appreciate that she was noticing that quality and that, that, you know, if it's a neighbor or a family friend that you could, you can just say, yeah, I I've seen it too. I have. And this is how I frame it. That's great. It comes at it from a pop, from a sense of pity. And I've had, I've experienced that too. Um, that's the part that is tough for me. <laughs> and I'm, I'm born and raised in the South. We are very hospitable people. That's just how I'm raised. I can't quite figure out how to call the bullshit yet without in a tactful way. Um, and that's the one that I'm still working on. Um, but what I can say is, okay, that person has declared to me that we don't need to spend any time with this person. Um, if it's coming from pity, it, it's really them expressing their own discomfort about the situation and they can't seem to find the hope in it. Um, that's on yeah. them. That's not personal. Um, yeah, I think that's beautiful. And, and again, you know, if that's empowering for you, like I would say, you found your way, right? And, and we adjust, right? Over time, you may change your mind, you may change your wording, your son grows up, you know, he gets older, it's just, but you're in charge, you're not buying into this disempowering narrative that that your child is broken or disordered or slow. And that just reminded me, uh, Russell Barkley, who's sort of the one of the biggest proponents, right, of the pro med pro label uh, movement, he actually um, was working on, and I'm, I have to check in where that's at, on this new term called um, sluggish cognitive tempo. And I had the same reaction. It's like, wait, what? Like, you're saying your brain is slower-ish, right? What are we doing? Where are we going with this? There are other words to be used. There are other words in the dictionary that can be used that are what I would call it. It's dehumanization. That's a big loaded phrase. I mean, if we're talking about words, that's dehumanizing. That yeah. is a human dehumanizing and using his platform to do so when he could use another phrase, another word like deep, deep contemplation you know, uh, same with processing speed disorder. You could say instead processing depth. They think deeply. They think if it is a human being, they are thinking individuals and for another human to 
to sense that they can can have that hold that power they're using it irresponsibly and um yeah or, or we could call it for something like we could say boring information uh, uh you know avoidance syndrome like these kids don't like the way a lot of boring teachers teach so they're like i'm up they're avoiding to be present or they're tuning out for other reasons but it's not it's a choice at that time whether it's conscious or subconscious they can pay attention they don't have a deficit. That's the issue. Yeah. yeah. I would, um, this makes me think about sort of that, that environmental perspective. Um, uh, in, in the South, we have a, um, a beautiful uh, plant tree called a dogwood, and it has so many seasons to it. Um, it is, uh, it has these white, uh, soft pink uh, blooms in the springtime that really are the first, the clarion call. Uh, for the for the spring to happen, and I I think that that's beautiful because it's like it's like our our kiddos who happen to have that ADHD label is they're the first ones to spark up and say I'm not interested in this I don't I'm not interested in this yeah and we call that a problem but what we do in nature is we celebrate that oh look at that dogwood it's beautiful in the fall same thing it's the first tree to have this like bursting red uh, color in their leaves that signals winter is coming soon, you know? Uh, and it's, it, it's literally sharing with everyone else that the environment's about to change and the dogwood can pick up on that. It's sensitive to it. And we celebrate that. Why do we not do that when we celebrate our humans? When, when, when someone who happens to have that label of ADHD we label that as, oh, they're the, they're the problem, when what we actually could do is say, oh, something in our environment is changing, or something in our environment is stale, or something needs to change. You know what I'm saying? We, we totally. sell it in the natural world, and that doesn't seem to, to translate in this situation. I love that. I love that. You're full of nature metaphors. I, I love that, obviously, related to your job. But one of the things that we talked about last time was this greenhouse metaphor. Uh, yeah. Talk to me about that, because I thought that was beautiful uh, when we relate that to our children. Yeah, I, I would say that this is one that I don't know that I necessarily thought about from a, uh, a, nat a naturalist perspective, but um, truly from the homeschool community. I, and I, I think it's interesting that I even say the homeschool. I don't know that I identify as a homeschool mom, even though I've already homeschooled my child for six months, um, that people often uh, will give that concern to uh, parents who homeschool their children around, are you creating this bubble for your kid? And I, honestly, I've had, I've shared those experiences or those thoughts too about homeschool families. Um, but what I now understand is the reason I yanked my child out of this of this environment and did some of my, of my own reconciling and my own reckoning of my relationship with my child was I realized that my child uh, is any just like a plant that is in a greenhouse you create the a greenhouse is there is a, is an environment a controlled environment yes so that that plant uh, can grow strong build up its deep roots, um, you are, you are tampering with the environment you, because you, as the gardener get to, <laughs> that's the parenting, uh, empowerment there. The gardener is empowered to say, you know what, this plant is so wonderful and beautiful and I have a purpose for it, whatever it is, I want to place it in another place. But right now for this time and space, while it's growing up and building its roots, it needs this time to thrive. And I would translate that as the childhood parent childhood experience is 
right now, I need to make sure my child has the narrative that he needs to hear and believe, really believe, or else he's going to believe he's a broken lamp. You know, <laughs> He's going to believe these, these lies about himself and then operate in a world that, uh, that believes that. Um, rather, if we're keeping that greenhouse, this greenhouse idea, uh, when you do feel that that child is strong enough, or is by that point, maybe an adolescent or a young adult, and they go out into the real world, now they've got the roots. They'll still experience some, some weather. <laughs> They'll still experience some harsh conditions, um, just as life will do that to you as, a, as an adult, as a young adult, as an adolescent. Um, but now they have the roots to know, you know how, to, how to respond. They've, they've become equipped with a, a stronger narrative than that lie. Uh, and then they can call it out. They can call it the bullshit uh, for themselves. And that's, that's to me what I am realizing is my own job is to see that this is a gardening uh, practice being a parent. Mm, I love that metaphor. It's so beautiful. Parents as gardeners, right? And like you said, we can only control so much. I mean, nature has its own ways. You know, we can, if we're over controlling, then the plants also will not turn out quote unquote healthy or well. You got to know the plant and what it needs. Yeah, exactly. And that's, like you said, it's like being with the plant, slowing down, listening, right? There's plant listeners or whisperers, I'm sure. And, you know, yeah. go on this metaphor around the acidity and alk- and the um, the alkaline you know nature of it, the soil you know every every plant has its own needs as does a child um, you can label it whatever you want to label it um, I would like to choose to label it in a way that is more empowering and not um, taking me down this you know uh, machine this machine you know almost like this uh um, conveyor belt conveyor belt yeah yeah. Well, and that's also like, you know, a bad tomato is only a bad tomato because we say so because it won't sell at a supermarket because it's not perfect, but that doesn't make it a bad tomato or a broken tomato. It's just a tomato that grew that way. And it's going to be awesome in salsa. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> well, I think we're waking up from this uh, idea of normal, right? Like you were saying, this parent that might have pity with your child out on the playground or wherever, um, they're just confronted with, uh, you know, their their life is in, inside of a normal box or, right? And here they see someone who's not that and they don't know how to respond. They don't know how to react because it's not what they're brought up to believe that is part of the norm, right? So like, I, I think you said it beautifully. That's their own shit. Excuse my French. Yeah. Um, that I, I would say is where I'm at now is processing. How do I interact with other grownups or, or people who I, I'm around or I've, I, I have come to respect, or frankly, it might be, if I'm practically speaking, sometimes it might be, a um, one of my son's friends, moms, you know, uh, that crap, I've got to salvage this relationship with his friend, but this gal over here, I got to figure out how to hang out with her for a while and not let it be an awkward situation. That's real. I mean, that's a real situation of, okay. Um, and it's difficult. Um, how do I go from feeling from experience that they are, they are pitying me. My next response is I'm repulsed by you, you know? <laughs> but now I, my first step is maybe I need to pity you. 
you know, I need to pity you, but that's not, I, I need to keep going. I can't pity this person. I need to, I need to go to compassion for this person. That's hard. Um, that's, that's literally the space that I'm in now is how do I shift when this does happen, which it will continue to happen is engaging with other adults, professionals or experts or moms that have a different opinion than where I am. How do I go from feeling shocked to having compassion for them? That's hard. That's where I'm at. Yeah, no, absolutely. That's, that's real. That's the, where the rubber hit, meets the road, right? Um, now, let me ask you. So you have considered homeschooling. You've made a shift in the education department, right, with your son and for now. And what about medication? Did you ever consider medication? Yes, no. Why, why not? Where, where were you at around that? And how did that come about? So we're recording this at a particular time. I could go back and forth. I am very feeling, I'm feeling very back and forth about that, about this particular idea of medication because um, uh, my husband is in the medical field. So it's an interesting situation that we're in. Um, not that he is gonna buy everything, you know. Um, he also has gone through his own reckoning and that's his story to go through. Um, where we are with that, and that the reason why we, we pursued the ADHD diagnosis was to gain access to see if that medication would be helpful for my child. Um, and we are currently on the lowest dose of Adderall. Um, and it is something that I'm, I'm recognizing that it, I don't necessarily, he doesn't use it whenever we're at home. Um, he only uses it on school days. And his now teacher um, in a different school setting in a smaller school environment has noticed that it's, it's helpful for him. Um, so there's that, you know, it's like there's focus, yeah. this is helpful. And yet I do have a hard time with it because I, I, I realize this is a short-term solution. Um, and I'm still in that sort of desperation feel of here I, here I just waxed poetically about natural <laughs> environments. And yet I'm here saying that my child right now is on a low dose medication that is helping him get to a place that he needs to feel confident. Is it what I wanna use forever? God, I hope not. I actually, my story that I'm telling myself right now is I want him to use it until, you know, third or fourth grade, until we've really gotten the, we really understand how to read, you know? We really understand how to, you know, count, um, you know, and add and subtract, you know, fluently. Maybe then that's when I'll take it off, but maybe that's also the story I'm telling myself um, as a parent. Well, first of all, I want to just acknowledge you for the vulnerability and for being straight. And, you know, again, there's no judgment. Like you have to do what works for you, right? I always tell parents, we're not anti-meds. What, what I'm personally strongly feeling and anti-feeling to is when it's used for, for like TBD forever, right? When it's not a Band-Aid or not a temporary, but when it's just sort of becomes the crutch. The, and, and then it is a dependency because then kids won't be able to function without it, right? I have an issue with that, but again, also no judgment. If, so, if that works for somebody, uh, go for it. So I totally get it. I get that struggle of like, where do you, we've thought about medication. Like there was three moments 
with our son Kai, where we're like, I think we need to do it, you know? And then we just figured out another way. And uh, again, who knows what's coming in the future, right? But so I just appreciate you sharing that. Yeah, and there are other ways. I mean, practically, uh, he is now in second grade. And one of the struggles that his teacher said is writing, every day they write the date and they write in their gratitude journal. That is the first things that they do. And then they move on to their work, their morning work. Okay. And I said, well, we can do those two things at home. We'll do those two things at home. So then that helps to speed up his pro- speed, quote unquote, his process. So he's caught up with the speed of other right. kids. That we can solve that. That didn't take that didn't take medication to solve that problem. You know, that apparently was slowing him down that he wouldn't get to the other work. Well, we can we can resolve that without. Uh, in a creative way where we can be still be very creative with how we solve these um, challenges. Absolutely. And, you know, that's, that's again, a great example of like, you know, we've created this, this model of, of life that's uh, based on speed and progress and results. Right. And if you pull a child out of that and you say, well, I'm not going to worry about the speed or the progress, the way the normal kids do it, you may feel left out later on because now how is my child going to catch up? Right. So again, these are real problems that parents have and we have the same issue and there's tutors and there's temporary medication. There's other behavioral therapies. There's neurofeedback. There's there's many things. Right. Whatever works for you uh, in the long run works. Yeah. I would also say think about what is the purpose of education to begin with. This is where you're placing your child beyond your own family environment, your school environment. What do you think this, what is education for? And, you know, are you, are, is, is your child going to college? Wonderful, good. There's also other avenues and our entrepreneurs in the world have shown that. Um, there are other ways to, I, I, I personally would love for my child to go to college. If that's not for him, that's okay. Um, what right. I really want is a child who is confident in themselves and competent in a skill set that they can make a living and be resistant to uh, moving down the conveyor belt. Um, I think that's part of that whole pace that we get into ourselves of, yeah. oh, he's got to catch up. Catch up to what? He's got to find his own way. Your, your child has to find his own way of, and it's not, you know, becoming a banker, becoming a doctor, becoming a lawyer, ain't it for everybody. Um, yeah. Not, they're not all happy, guys. Like, just be honest. Um, you can climb this ladder, but you might find at the end, um, there's nobody up here, you know? right. uh, <laughs> or if there's somebody up there, they, they're pretty miserable because it's not a balanced life, you know, yeah, it's not a balanced life. So it's your job as a parent to ensure that your child is resistant to this idea of catching up and, and, um, and finding his own, finding his own way and being confident in that. And I love what you said. You know, I totally agree that nowadays, you know, there's not just college. That's, that's one track. But uh, recently, I'll give you an example, which I love. My wife went to a wedding in uh, Florida, one of her cousins, and another cousin who was there, she has three kids, and one of them is 17, I believe, or 18. Uh, or actually, I'll take this back. Uh, he's now, no, no, yeah, he is 17. And um, he was sharing with the family, with everyone there, like cousins, uncles, he was sharing his passion for repairing cars, right? And this is a family where the father is a writer, the mother is an executive, and it's like repairing cars could seem like one of those like, well, that's that's kind of a, 
a low totem pole kind of job, but he loves fixing up cars. And guess what? He never, how he learned was through YouTube until he got a, a hold of an actual car. Parents bought him a car. He's now fixing it up. He's fixing the parents' cars. He's fixing, like, he's a full-fledged mechanic. He knows what he's doing. And that was mainly through YouTube until he got a hold of it. So he, he wanted to learn about it. It was his passion and he's following it and allowing him to do that. And I just think that's letting a plant grow how it wants to grow. Yes. And, and detaching yourself from any ideas of what you wanted for your child. Um, there, when you were talking, there's a great book called shot class as soul craft shot class as soul craft. And it's about that idea of, of, the value that we place on work and what kind of work you do, what your livelihood is. The idea of, again, going back, it's dehumanizing to say, this work is of this value. This work is of this value. If it brings life to that human, you yep. know, F you, man. You know what I'm saying? It's like, who are totally. you? What who are, are we measuring it by? Income? That's right. Or class status, you know? We can also work on, you know, harp on another thing. Make sure everyone can make a living wage. That's a world. Someone's got to let, let, let that be our job, guys. Everyone work on that, you know, um, so that we can all just thrive together doing what we want to do and, and are passionate about doing. Absolutely. And that's, you know, I was going to uh, go to this, you know, what's next in the future for you, right? You are somebody who I love that you're a research machine, research mama, because a lot of parents don't have time or they don't want to, or they believe the experts blindly, right? Perhaps like a little bit like you and I did at the beginning, both, right? You go like, well, that's the expert. But then you started just like ourselves, you started to dig deeper and, uh, and research. And so for you, what is next? I mean, you are, you have the passion of an activist. I'll just say that, you know? Um, and I know you're a big stand for your son, which I, I, I just love. And, and where, where do you see this going for you and your family? Um, for me, I mean, the term activist, I get it. I do have an activist spirit um, and I've done some active activism in, in other realms of my life. Um, I also realize that there are some systems that this one individual mama ain't going to chart, ain't going to change. It really requires a movement. And I believe that that movement is you know the neurodiversity movement. Um, I believe that movement is in its own space around um, uh, bringing nature and normalizing nature as an educational tool for for uh, the school system because the school system is also not going to change on a on a dime. We have now learned that through the pandemic, they're still going to be the same. <laughs> um, I think also we have to reconcile our own ideas of capitalism and industry. Um, and, and, and what we want for our child. I think that's what's next for me is just um, in my own social location. Um, and I live in a, in a, and I would say a very privileged area in the South that I, I need to call the bullshit where it is with the moms and the parents that I'm around and let them know that I'm, I'm someone who, if you want to have that conversation, let's have it, you know, and, and, and I can, and it can be an attractive conversation to some people and off putting to others you know, so be it. Um, and I think for me, that's the space that I feel like I won't hit my head up against a wall. Um, but I'm so encouraged by, you know, our, the neurodiversity movement, the disability rights community, they're really moving in a, in a way that is changing my language. Um, 
on a daily basis, and I, I'm talking physical limitations disability, that they've got some language uh, around technology being helpful for them in helping to democratize the work, the, the life that they live. Um, there's just a lot of movements that already exist that I don't have to create so that I can just attach myself and learn alongside and, and get energized by so that I can, I can really, at least in my own neighborhood, um, be that, be that resource for other parents who might be going through the same thing. That's beautiful. Yeah. That's what I meant by the activist spirit, right? We don't have to be up on a soapbox with a microphone. Like that's, I, I chose that cause that's innate to my passion, right? That's me. Um, but I think what you're talking about is, is brilliant. It's needed uh, for you to be a stand in your community and for others to no longer be able to call, you know, talk bullshit and you just go like, ah, oh, fine. Okay. I'll go along with it. But for each one of us individually to stop, I call it, you know, the emperor wears no clothes, right? If he's not wearing clothes, let's call it that. That's mm -hmm. not bullshit around it, you know? Yeah, absolutely. So, I, I think that's amazing. Now, what would you, before we get to the end here, what do you recommend other parents do if they're right now, they're going through a diagnosis or they're about to, or they just have, uh, what would be sort of your takeaways of what really uh, kept you sane, um, you know, things you did that you're so glad you did it? I know we talked about a few of them already, uh, but just so, any last words uh, for parents? Yeah, um, I heard this phrase, um, that I appreciate, and I think it was it was it was a phrase that I heard as I was researching and truly, honestly, trying to give myself permission for me to feel okay with Owen going on medication. And that phrase was, "How do they define ADHD?" And someone defined it as, "ADHD really means that your child's brain is a poor fit for society today." And I liked it. I liked it. It wasn't disempowering to me. It actually was like, yeah, but aren't we all, and shouldn't we all be poor fits for the society of today? Um, that are that the way that we think, we should be thinking differently. There's something about um, holding on to whatever knowledge or or content that that expert is giving you. Sit with it, take read it, and then. Align it with your own values of who you are as a human, a parent, a parent of your own child, and and tease it out. You know, tease out what actually is true and what isn't true, and then find ways to make that an empowering statement for yourself. Um, I feel like I do that with the, the term ADHD. It's just it's just a flip, throw it out there, four letters <laughs> that don't mean anything unless you want it to, um, and I can instead reclaim the term deep contemplative movement expression. Yeah, yeah, actually it's, it's not ADHD, it's DCME, you know, and I can, I'm, I'm still chewing on that, but I really want to go somewhere with that for myself. It's just for myself. It, it may not even, Owen may never hear that. My son may never, never hear that, but what I can do is, is channel that sort of love and, and energetic spirit and, and activism for my own child, for him to hear that this is, this is who you're being raised by, a woman who's not going to believe all this crap that's out in the in the world and and really staying true with what we know you by nature are. Wonderful. Yeah. And I, I you really believe that your son is fortunate to have a mother, you know, a parent uh, that's so committed to just not taking it as is, you know, because 
so much of what we accept nowadays as the truth just is propaganda or is just interest groups trying to sell something or trying to go somewhere with it. And that, no. absolutely, I would think that's another uh, word of warning for, for parents is when you're looking at websites, you know, dig even scratch the surface just a little and you may find that you know, there are ads about medications. It's just coming at you. That's just how, you know, all these internet algorithms work. Make sure you're on a website that doesn't have to have that kind of flow of finances to tell the truth. Um, that's so critical. It can be too easy to be led astray like that. Um, again, not saying medication's wrong. I'm just saying there's some conflicts there. If you're really significantly, if you're being funded, and supported financially. If you're going on a website that's being funded and financial, financially supported by the pharmaceutical industry, find another website, find someone yeah. else. It, it ain't there, it's not there. Yeah, this this field is full of conflict of interest and I would add to that uh, for parents, just to be aware, you know, Wikipedia uh, does disclose um, funding that uh, experts have from pharmaceutical companies. So it's important to, not, you know, sort of uh, turn a blind eye on that, because ultimately, when we follow the money, we get to the interest groups. And again, not all, all apples are bad here. Um, but I found that found it to be true in many cases that our top experts, right, uh, are funded by pharma. And one of my favorite sayings is, uh, is 97% of all scientists agree with the people who fund them, you know, <laughs> you kind of have to are you exactly exactly so just be aware of that but um look Lauren, it's been a, it's been a great conversation and i just appreciate you coming on being so vulnerable and authentic and sharing your story i know it's going to make a difference for uh, a lot of uh, listeners and if they want to get a hold of you i will take emails through our website and i can forward those to you um but uh, i i think uh Again, I think your son is very fortunate to have such a such a force to be reckoned with. Thanks, Ryan. I appreciate that.